I really like being able to use my research for teaching, right? So we use our interventions and programs. I love being able to train my grad students on our protocols and talk to them about the why. Why are we using this theory and how does it work? So I love that teaching component, you know, and they're learning a ton of skills in delivering our programs and interventions. And then the service piece, I feel like, is a very natural fit for the work we do, right? We have uh, been running an outreach program called Fit Cancer since 2017. So taking what we know from research, evidence-based practice, and um, providing a program, a service to the community. So we we love it. And, you know, kind of full circle, we also have IRB approval to collect data as part of the program. So our participants can opt in to data collection. And most do because I think they are first curious about it and also want to give back. Um, so then we're also able to use the data collected as part of our service or outreach program to answer additional research questions. So it's a really cool, like I say, full circle thing for me that I, I think I will always continue to do. Welcome to Health and Human Science Matters, a podcast by Colorado State University's College of Health and Human Sciences. I'm your co-host and digital media strategist, Avery Martin. And I'm Matt Hickey, Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies. In our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well-being through discovery and innovation. But don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission, our college faculty and staff. Today, we're fortunate enough to have a friend and colleague from my home department, Health and Exercise Science, Dr. Heather Leach. Heather, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes. We're tickled to have you here, and I, I have to brag on Heather a bit, right? So, mm-hmm. so Heather is one of our young superstars. She's a Lincoln Laureate, as a for instance, and if I remember correctly, in the maiden class of Lincoln Laureates, which is a CSU-wide designation for rising stars, and she's funded by every institution on planet Earth. And, <laughs> Uh, it has a knack. We've talked about this in our when we're recruiting graduate students that about 80% of our inquiries go to, to one person for the, the graduate program. And so Heather's usually got the the um, actually challenging task when you get a lot of inquiries of uh, I can't say yes to everybody <laughs> and how do I vet students so that they're part of my team. But she has been uh, an appealing part of our, our uh, faculty to external visitors and guests and prospective graduate students for some time. So Indeed. we're glad to have you. Thank you. Yeah. So we're looking forward to having some fun. We want to get to know you better as a person and, and get to know you better as a scholar as well. So we'll weave a little bit of back and forth about sort of the on CV and off CV kind of questions. Sure, yeah. We, we want to start with sort of big ideas and big problems. So if you were to, to talk to us a little bit about what big problems you pursue with your research group, what would that look like? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll start big, big. And that is, you know, I think weaving in, as you mentioned, the mission of the college, right? Optimizing human health. And for me, that means physical activity or exercise is medicine. And, you know, we've all heard it. We've all heard if if exercise was a pill, everybody would take it. But I think, you know, my lab, you know, we sort of live and breathe that. And we really believe that physical activity is if you could pick one thing, to do for your health, that should be it. I'm sure some of the nutrition and sleep researchers would argue with that, but um, we feel like we have pretty good data to back it up. So I think, you know, that is the big, big problem is how do we get more people to be active and not just during an intervention, but lifelong physical activity. And I think, you know, weaving down a little more to my scholarship, big problem, you know, we focus particularly on cancer survivors. So how do we get that particular population to sort of buy into exercise as medicine, right? We're getting really good at at treating cancer, right? People are living longer, but they're also living with a lot of side effects from treatment. And 
turns out physical activity can even help with that. So it's the magic bullet. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so we, we want to talk about journeys, right? So, sure. so you're here and you're a rising star. You got a big research team. You're, you're uh, you know, on the American Cancer Society's radar screen, National Institutes of Health and others. But where did it all start? And, and this journey, for, for many of our conversations, we've heard stories about first grade teachers or, you know, so and family influences we're, we're really interested in because, again, it's easy, particularly for students, to see us as just that person that's in the classroom or just the scholar who's busy and, you know, writing grants all the time. And there's so much more to, to life, to who we are. Absolutely. And so we want to hear a mix of all of that as we talk. And I'll nudge you, you know, if I have particular questions. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, my journey toward academia and research, I think, you know, was winding for sure and maybe not as uh, direct as others. But, you know, I played soccer my whole life. I started playing soccer when I was four, um, played college soccer. And so, you know, the whole time loved being active. And when I went to university to play, uh, I didn't pick a major yet. And finally, you know, our academic advisor sat us down and they're like, okay, it's your sophomore year. You have to pick a major. And I said, well, I'm in this building all the time. What what can I do here? And they said, well, exercise science. That's a, that's a thing. And I'm like, oh, cool. That sounds great. So I started doing some of those classes, human physiology and um, exercise prescription, and just absolutely loved it. I would, you know, nerd out. I'd be, you know, running sprints at practice and thinking about which energy systems I was using. And so it turned out I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is really interesting. Um, so I love that. But to be honest, I wasn't sure where that would lead career-wise. You know, research wasn't really part of our undergraduate program where I went. You know, we were more focused on, uh, you know, pedagogy. So, you know, PE, sure. um, teaching, coaching, athletic training, physical therapy, and none of that really resonated with me. And so kind of on a whim, my dad sent me this um, uh, application for an internship, a summer internship at Johnson Space Center in the exercise physiology lab. He's like, this is cool. You should do this. I was like, dad, I play soccer at South Alabama. There's no (laughs) way I'm getting into NASA. He's like, oh, just apply. So Sure enough, I, you know, was accepted and uh, did a summer internship in the exercise physiology lab there. And I think that's where I realized, oh, there is sort of this other career in exercise and uh, in sort of the health world. You know, I did uh, stuff with, I worked on the advanced resistive exercise device. So we were testing out the device that was going to go to space. Um, I worked on bed rest testing. So they did, you know, uh, earth models of microgravity. And it was just all so interesting so it was really after that that i was like okay i think i'm gonna apply to graduate school that's and that was cool. kind of where it started for me i think thank dad yeah <laughs> and you know who would have thought right never would have thought yeah, that's pretty cool now i have to ask you just out of personal curiosity who, who did you work with when you were at johnson yeah so um my primary mentor was dan feedback okay um so i think he might have been a ball state guy uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, everywhere you just yeah every rock you're gonna find a ball state <laughs> yep um and then you know i worked with actually fewer you know pis i worked mostly with they called them acer so astronaut strength and conditioning coaches and more of the rehab folks so um you know people with um cscs so like strength and training strength and conditioning um and training backgrounds um, so yeah, but Dan was my official assigned mentor. And, um, I think Lori Plout Snyder got there, um, when I was there, I'm trying to remember who else. I mean, there's a whole crew of people that, uh, yeah, 
that I overlapped with. So you had this formative experience at Johnson, right? That yep. probably more than your undergrad in some ways opened your eyes to there's more to this major than meets the eye. For sure, right? yeah. So the transition into graduate school then from Johnson, how did that work out? Yeah, so applying to graduate schools, I didn't really know what I was doing, right? Just doing the online thing, took the GRE, um, applied to, you know, a couple different schools that, you know, the program looked good and they were in places I wanted to live. And I got into a couple programs, but ultimately decided on um, the University of Texas at Arlington. Um, mm -hmm. They um, had a really awesome clinical track. So where you were doing a lot of clinical hours in um, cardiopulmonary rehab. And that was very appealing to me as well as, you know, delving deeper into physiology and a little bit of research. So I did my master's there. Um, and when I came, when I was finishing up my master's, you know, I did all of my clinical hours and, you know, back to exercises medicine. I, it was just like even more powerful for me then. I'm, you know, in cardiac rehab watching sort of the magic of exercise after, you know, this major cardiac event. And I'm like, what I want to know is why don't people do this? I don't get it. I'm like, we know this is good. Why don't people do this? So this question kept kind of eating at me. Like, I want to understand why people don't do that. And so ultimately that drove me to be like, I think I need to get a PhD to answer this question. And so I ended up looking for PhD programs that you know, where I would be working with someone to study and understand physical activity behavior. And were these people that were within sort of the network of friends of people in the master's program, or are you really flying solo here in terms of... Not at all. Yeah, totally yeah. flying solo. So I, you know, uh, in my master's learned what PubMed was. So I was able <laughs> to, you know, put people's names in and use my Boolean terms like physical activity and, um, you know, behavior. And I ultimately stumbled upon these two researchers, and, and it was one paper in particular, and it was this idea of a social ecological approach to studying physical activity. And by that, it's, it's really that there's not just one reason. And that really resonated with me. It's not just someone's not motivated. It's not just that they don't have um, gyms near their house. It's all of these things. And how do we understand, you know, how these things work together or against each other to, you know, either serve as barriers or facilitators to people being active. So I ended up contacting, it was two authors of the paper. I contacted both of them. Um, one of them happened to be from the University of Alberta, John Spence, and uh, Alberta is where I grew up. So that was kind of exciting. I was like, oh, maybe I'll end up back home. And the other one was Rebecca Lee, who was in Houston, which is where I was working at the time. So it was kind of, um, you know, really fun to be like, well, I'm either going back home or staying where I'm at. And um, I ended up getting into the University of Houston. And uh, yeah finished off my PhD there. And, and so talk to us about what you did as a PhD student. What were you working on at that time? Oh, gosh. You know, make me relive all of my graduate student days, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, during my PhD, uh, the primary work that we were doing was with African-American and Hispanic Latina women in Houston and Austin, Texas. And we were trying to understand how the built environment contributed to their physical activity behavior. So um, I came in sort of at the midpoint um, of an R01 um, that uh, Rebecca had. So I wasn't on the ground floor with the data collection, but I sort of came in really as we were uh, 
starting to clean the data and manage the data and analyze the data. So it was a really good time in terms of learning to do all of that. Um, and then I ended up doing some data collection. So um, for part of my dissertation, we wanted to know, you know, years later, um, what were some of the things that contributed to long-term physical activity behavior change? So I invited a lot of these women to come back. I think it was anywhere from three to five years after they completed their intervention to come back. And I did a bunch of measures and questionnaires and things like that. So you, you wrap up this, this degree. It's now Dr. Leach. And yep. what comes next in this long and winding road? Yeah. So, you know, I'm finishing up, learned a lot about, you know, social ecological influences on physical activity. And part of me, though, missed the clinical space. I think one of my favorite things in my master's was looking at how exercise impacted disease states. So if you have some sort of physiologic um, issue, let's say how exercise could potentially, you know, lessen the effect of it or even in some cases reverse it. And so I kind of missed that space. And at the time, so this was like 2000. 12, 2013, um, exercise oncology was really this up and coming field. You know, by then, exercise for management of cardiovascular disease was pretty well established. Mm -hmm. And exercise oncology was sort of this new path where, you know, people were like, are you seriously asking people who are on chemo to exercise? That seems crazy. But the evidence was, was building for how impactful exercise could be in this population. So um, you know, between missing the clinical space in this sort of newish area, I started, started seeking out um, a postdoc in exercise oncology. And where was that? So same thing. I uh, <laughs> approached two different mentors who were doing, you know, what I thought was exactly what I wanted to do. And one was in Houston where I was at, um, Dr. Karen Bazin Enquist at MD Anderson. And the other was Dr. Nicole Kulos-Reed in Calgary, Alberta. Um, and so, you know, I applied to both and both looked fantastic. And, and ultimately, I just hadn't been home in 10 years. And so the prospect of, you know, getting to go back to Calgary for a couple years and see my family and hang out with my friends was too enticing that I had to, you know, uh, bypass MD Anderson and, and go back to, to the University of Calgary. Yeah, and, but nice to have multiple opportunities to pick from. Really, right? really that's, awesome. That's yeah. Really, yeah. Uh, when, when that happens, we're, we count our blessings for sure. I'm going to show my northern latitude chops here by, <laughs> by asking, do you know, did you grow up a Calgary Flames fan or Winnipeg Jets or Edmonton Oilers or any of those old school just mentioning the Oilers is blasphemy oh, to me. So oh, okay. <laughs> I'll have to so, walk that one back. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. You know, Calgary Flames. I have actually at home a 1989 uh, Calgary Flames coffee mug. But you know, if there's any Oilers fans listening, they're probably making jokes about how that is the only year that we have a coffee uh, mug. <laughs> you know, I I often talk about Lanny McDonald. Yeah, remember Lanny? Of course, he had the world class. Epic mustache. Yep. I've always wanted to have a mustache like that. So I won't talk about Messier and the other guys. <laughs> we'll just leave it out of it. So, so a postdoc where, where you're, again, gathering new skills. So, yep. so formative lessons from the postdoc that you'd like to share for us? Absolutely. And I think, you know, one aside from, you know, the opportunity to go live at home, one of the things that really appealed to me about the postdoc with Nicole at the University of Calgary was she was doing a lot of community-based um, work. So physical activity promotion uh, for cancer survivors, cancer patients, but in community settings, which was really, to me, like, boots on the ground. You know, I had a lot of experience from my PhD sort of, you know, 
behind the computer and doing the data stuff that I really wanted to, if I was going to be in this space as a person working with uh, in oncology, I wanted to learn about the people and meet them and and be the one doing assessments and, and delivering the programs as well as on the data side, um, writing the papers. I kind of wanted to really have an immersive experience. And um, when I talked to Nicole, you know, what she had planned for my postdoc was exactly what I was looking for. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So at some point, CSU emerges on your radar screen and we yep. were lucky enough to recruit you here. So how the hell did we pull that off? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I really liked my interview here. You guys did a good job. Good. Um, good. Yeah, good. I came, you know, probably not the best time of year. I think it was like February. <laughs> so it was, you know, not... 70 and sunny. Um, so maybe in the future we should plan interviews <laughs> yeah, around the, that. The but. academic calendar sometimes isn't quite fit for us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, you know, I always saw myself in a department of health and exercise science, right? Undergrad was health and exercise science, master's in exercise physiology, PhD kinesiology, postdoc kinesiology. I did not see myself really outside of that. So, you know, HES felt like a really good home to me. Um, and when I got here, you know, between the facilities, you know, in the HPCRL, I was very wowed by it. Um, I felt like it had all the things that I needed to really succeed um, in what I thought would be my research program. And, and definitely the people. I had such great interactions with everybody I met on my interview. Um, it didn't feel, I wasn't, you know, at the end of the day, like, oh, gosh, I can't wait for this. We were like, oh, what are we doing next? So, uh, yeah, I think that combination, right, of it was the people and, and the, you know, research opportunity. And it's, I think it's hard to find that combination. Yeah, we, don't, we shouldn't take it for granted, should we? It's a good lesson. So, so you've, you've earned tenure here, mm -hmm. you've earned accolades, and there are more to follow for sure. I want to, before we talk about sort of a day in the life of the Leech Lab, I want to talk a little bit about it. As you think about yourself as a scholar and a mentor, do you have particular role models that, that the way I do things are, are really strongly informed by different people? For sure, both my PhD mentor, Rebecca Lee, and uh, my postdoc mentor, Nicole Kulis-Reed. I think they the way they ran their labs was slightly different, but I think the one thing that they had in common was they were so approachable. And at no point in either my doctoral training or my postdoc did I ever think that they didn't have not only mine, but all of the students' best interests in mind. Like, you really got this feeling that they truly wanted to see you succeed. They, they sort of had this intrinsic um, motivation and um, reward for seeing their students succeed. And I think that reciprocity was so inspiring to me. Um, but in terms of lab structure, I mean, they had all of the elements that you read in these mentoring things, right? You know, weekly lab meetings, one-on-one -on -one meetings, great communication styles. So I think, you know, I didn't honestly think about it at the time because they both had very well-established labs. It wasn't until I got here, I'm like, oh, I'm, I got to start one of those. <laughs> <laughs> but I think living those experiences, I, I think, again, I just got lucky to have two fantastic mentors. It has to be incredibly rewarding for you to hear your students talk about you in the same way that you talk about your mentors, right? I mean, that's got to be, because I've heard your students use the same kind of language. And man, what, what better reward than to say, here are people that, you know, have really influenced me that I admire, I respect, and my students are talking about me like I talk about them. I, I mean, I hope so. I've always said if I can be half the mentor that I've had, then I'm doing something right. So no, you're definitely doing something right, that's for sure. So 
let me nudge us off campus again a little bit, right? So in the midst of all these educational pathways and postdocs and data and <laughs> interviews and all this stuff, there, you know, there's Heather's life is going on outside of campus as well. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, things that appeal to you. What do you do for fun? Talk to us a little bit about yeah. your family if you're willing to do so. And sure. Share a little bit more. You know, fun has evolved since my postdoc, right? <laughs> having a family, having kids and stuff that changes, uh, you know, what you do in your spare time. Um, but, you know, here in Colorado, we like to, like everybody else, right, get out in the mountains and hike. Um, you know, now uh, my son, Connor, he's six, so he's getting into sports. I know. So getting into sports, so we have a good time, you know, shuttling him around to football and baseball and hockey. And so that's fun, you know trying to keep my two Australian shepherds busy. Um, so lots of, you know, outdoor time. Let's see if we can find a little classic flange. <laughs> yeah. Right. He has that one. Oh, see, he oh, does. Wait, he works. already has. One. <laughs> yep. Perfect. The retro. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. I love it. That's great. So, so, so there's this work life balance piece, right? It's not yep. all about what's going on here. You know, before I talk again about a day in the life of your lab, I'm, I'm really interested in you sharing reflections on, on what lessons have been learned from this COVID experience. It's We didn't see it coming. Who would have? Mm -hmm. You know, you're forced to adjust. And I think, again, my, my impression is your ability to adjust has, has been one of the, the wins. Not one that we would have gone knocking on the door of, but you've yeah. been really innovative. And I, I think sharing that will be Useful. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, one word is adaptability. I think sometimes, especially as researchers, you know, we, we write a grant and you have milestones and a timeline and you get really stressed out when something isn't going to hit one of those timelines or milestones. And, you know, COVID just blew the whole thing up, right? I tell people that, you know, if I could design a study to be the most impacted by COVID, so in other words, the worst possible study design during a pandemic was exactly one of my studies. <laughs> we were studying the impact of, you know, group cohesion. So this ability of, you know, people during an exercise class to, to garner social support and, you know, basically make friends. How does that impact their quality of life and long-term exercise behaviors? So, you know, this idea of, you know, trying to do that with social distancing in place was really like, you know, this is, it was the worst possible study design. So we, we struggled with, you know, should we wait out the pandemic or do we need to figure out some way to still do this study um, given all of the restrictions? So fortunately we decided not to wait it out. Um, so a couple months in, we, you know, made the plunge and contacted our funders about, you know, what can we do um, with human research in these times, particularly for us. I mean, we're studying cancer patients and survivors, right? These were an immunocompromised group, a high-risk group. So more, again, more than anyone, we, we didn't particularly want them like gathering in, in groups and, and getting close and, and making buddies, um, especially, you know, in 2020. So uh, a couple months in, we made the plunge to switch completely to virtual um, and try to now ask the question, can we create, you know, cohesive groups and a sense of social support on Zoom effectively? So um, it's been, uh, it, you know, it was a lot. It was challenging to change all of our study procedures and protocols. And, you know, it, it changes everything about, you know, your research questions. Um, but ultimately, I think a lot has, a lot of good has really come out of it. We've learned a ton and our programming 
virtually has been immensely successful. We've gotten, you know, really fantastic positive feedback from our uh, participants and uh, we're able to reach so many more people than we were, you know, having them come into the lab in Fort Collins. So silver linings, I suppose. Silver linings. That's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah, those. adaptability yeah. and silver linings. <laughs> those are my lessons. Here, here. Sounds like a book title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So talk to us about your team, your current team, and, and sort of what you're working on. Freedom to name names. We always love to <laughs> hear about your students. So. Yeah. So right now, let's see, I have five graduate students, two PhD students. So we have Mary and Emma, and then three master students. We've got Bailey, Hattie, and Lydia. And then we have a full-time research associate, um, Elena. And then I actually have, uh, I'm sort of co, I don't know if it's supervising, but uh, I have another part-time research associate um, on a multi-PI grant that I have um, down at Anschutz. So Ethan works for us um, part-time a little bit. And then we have um, an undergraduate practicum student, and like we do every semester. Sure. And this semester we have um, Tyler from HES. You got your hands full. Yeah, we've got a solid team. And so give me a day in the life. And we know, we know as we've Trotted this question out many times that there, you know, there is no representative day, yep. right? That doesn't exist. <laughs> but have some fun and talk to us about what life in the lab looks like in the morning. Yeah, I, you know, I think probably like anyone, highly variable is how I usually describe it. Um, but I think for my students, um, a fun day in the life is, you know them being with our participants. You know, most of them are attracted to the work we do because they they truly want to use exercise to help people and they like to, you know, be with um, people that they uh, can, you know, hopefully uh, promote physical activity and do something good with. So, you know, a good day for them is usually, you know, um, whether they have people coming in and doing assessments. So again, like we, they get to nerd out on, you know, doing a VO2 max test or a submax <laughs> test or some sort of physical assessments. They, they really like to do that kind of stuff. Um, not just in person, but now actually on Zoom as well. We're doing a lot of assessments um, over Zoom. And then, you know, the actual programming and intervention stuff where we get to, you know, lead them through an exercise session. And also we do a lot of um, discussing, you know, their barriers to exercise. So I think a lot of them love hearing the stories from our participants and they, they form some really, really neat relationships with our participants as well. So I think those are the fun days. That sounds like a fun day. Definitely. <laughs> you know, I know you know this better than most, but I hear from so many of your students that, that um, because of how pervasive the touch of cancer is, there are very few people that don't know somebody, you know, if they're not a survivor themselves, Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Someone, a mom, a dad, whoever it might be. And, uh, I hear so often for your group in particular, not, not surprisingly, that, that that's a big motivation because I know somebody, uh, I want to understand this better. And that's a powerful motivator, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the personal story behind it um, really teaches them a lot, right? And, and I think that's the other neat thing is they all come in with different experiences, their own lived experiences that they can bring to our programs and intervention and just the lab in general. So we exercise our imagination a little bit. This is a, almost a cliche, this question. Someone, yeah. what if we put yourself five years in the future? What's going on in the, the Leech Lab? Five years from now. I mean, the obvious is I hope I still have funding to keep doing the work I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think we've learned a lot over the course of the pandemic. So I'm, I'm actually most excited to see the direction that sort of the next big grant or the next big study goes. Um, if you asked me three years ago what it was going to be, I think it would be 
different than what I think it's going to be now. So I think I'm not totally sure specifically. But, but let me press you on that. Just okay. Play prognosticator. So where do you think the field is heading? I think given the last two years and this explosion of virtual stuff, I think I think we need to go into, you know, some more comparative effectiveness testing. Because I think, you know, there's a lot of people that that do want to go back to face-to-face stuff, sure. right? There, You have a lot of people who say, you know, the virtual stuff is working now, but there's going to be burnout. People are going to get burned out. They're not going to want to do this forever. But then you have all of the upsides of some of the, you know, the telehealth, telemedicine, where, again, we can reach people in remote locations. We remove barriers of travel. So I think we we won't really know which is better until we until we test it. So I think some some large studies doing some efficacy testing or, like, say, comparative effectiveness with some of the more traditional face-to-face approaches and exercise um, and physical activity interventions with some of the newer, you know, telehealth or video conferencing um, intervention modalities. So, do, do you see integrated approaches, kind of hybrid, right? So you've got a mix of, you know, a couple of days at some site, e- even again, if it's distributed sites, if yeah. that gets harder, obviously, right? You need infrastructure and people have got to get yeah. wheels up or in the community, but can you envision a, you know, a blended model, right? I mean, you're really trying to complicate my study design. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, you know, pragmatically, absolutely. I think that's where probably, you know, the field in terms of, you know, exercise oncology in the community will probably go, right? We're not only doing exercise interventions for cancer survivors in laboratories and at universities. We have tons of programs out um, all over in the community and clinics. So I think definitely that um, I think those places are going to go towards those hybrid models. And as a, you know, researcher who enjoys that kind of work too. I think that would give us a good opportunity to do some sort of practice-based evidence to to see what's happening there. You know, and some of the fears about can we maintain a community in a virtual setting can be addressed by this sort of hybrid model, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't lose touch literally and, and metaphorically, right? Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what, um, and some of it I'm presenting this year at some of our conferences. So we measure group cohesion and we have, you know, before the pandemic, some of our levels, um, uh, that we were able to achieve in the face-to-face. And so we're, you know, able to sort of compare retrospectively if we're achieving that same level of community. We also, you know, look at our um, participant evaluations, whether they mention, you know, that that being with other survivors or was the instructor really instrumental in their enjoyment of the program or the intervention. And this is my next question you're anticipating, you know, so, so have you learned some lessons from your experience about those sort of attributes that help recapitulate community in, in a virtual setting? Um, you know, we try to mimic some of the things we do face-to-face. Um, you know, things like how do we initiate discussions um, to get people to know, you know, get to know each other um, in the group. So, you know, we intentionally try to do some of those things. Um but, you know, I think that data is still sort of pending. I think we really need to dig into it a little more and try to figure out um, exactly what we need to do and if we even can um, recapture some of those things that we know are important in um, face-to-face exercise settings. Did, did you find elderly demographics uh, resistant to technology or were they, they ready to rock and roll? Because there are some, I think, urban myths about that, right? Yeah. Define elderly. Yeah, I was thinking of myself, actually. Right? You know, <laughs> yeah. The resident sort of dinosaur, you know, but let's say 65 and above, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so our average which, which age. Which is not me, by the way. I want to be <laughs> yes. clear about that. <laughs> uh, the, uh, let's see. The average age in our virtual program, in our vir- so our virtual program, our average age, I want to say, was 59, what we have so far. And in our virtual intervention is lower than, I want to say it's 48 or something like that. So, again, I don't know if uh, we just aren't attracting uh, people who are in that demographic over 65 that they were they see that it's a, a computer-based thing or a web-based thing and they don't even bother signing up or it just so happened that's all we have sure. um, so far. I don't think we have the sample size to, to pull out just people over 65 yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. I think, you know, we're going to continue for sure doing um, the physical activity programming. So for Fit Cancer for the next at least two years virtually. So I think by then we'll get a really good idea of uh, how acceptable it was for people of all ages. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay yeah. tuned. <laughs> so I want to talk about this multi-layered environment we, we work in on campus, right? So we start with this College of Health and Human Sciences mm-hmm. and to your immense credit, you've already alluded to that, right? <laughs> but you know, what do you like best about working in the College of Health and Human Sciences? Hmm. What do I like best? Um, let's see. So obviously the things I do align so well with the vision and mission of the college, but I like that um, our college, I think, does a really good job of us getting to know people outside our department. So it's especially when I was new, like in my first two years, um, they organized some really great you know, workshops and seminars for junior faculty. And I got to meet people from social work and OT and the other um, departments within our college who were you know, other researchers who were either struggling with the same things or had success in things that um, I was hoping to have success in. So I think that was something I really appreciated. And even now, as you mentioned, you know, College Research Day, um, where we get to know people outside of our little HES bubble. A little lightning talks to kind of fun there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's great. So the next layer up course is CSU is, is proudly and prominently a land-grant institution. Talk to us about what, what that means to you. Yeah, research, teaching, and service. <laughs> um, I think, you know, when you asked what drew me to CSU initially, I honestly think that was it. Because I feel like I never want to conduct research sort of in this silo that it's just research. If I wanted to do that, I would probably go to a medical campus, right? I I really like being able to use my research for teaching, right? So we use our interventions and programs. I love being able to train my grad students on our protocols and talk to them about the why. Why are we using this theory and how does it work? So I love that teaching component, you know, and they're learning a ton of skills in delivering our programs and interventions. And then the service piece, I feel like, is a very natural fit for the work we do, right? We have uh, been running an outreach program called Fit Cancer since 2017. So taking what we know from research, evidence-based practice, and um, providing a program, a service to the community. So we we love it. And, you know, kind of full circle, we also have IRB approval to collect data as part of the program. So our participants can opt in to data collection. And most do because I think they are first curious about it and also want to give back. Um, so then we're also able to use the data collected as part of our service or outreach program to answer additional research questions. So it's a really uh, cool, like I say, full circle um, thing for me that I, I think I will always continue to do. Almost a self-perpetuating model in some ways, right? It yeah, continues to absolutely. Feed that into itself. That's pretty yeah. cool. 
You know, one thing that I think is, has been impactful for you as well, in addition to us being a land grant, of course, we're, we're, uh, we're not an academic medical center, but we're not far from one, right? <laughs> and so, you know, CCTSI and other opportunities to connect. And, you know, one of the things that I found about the Front Range that's been fun is, is that that spirit of let, let's figure out how to pursue a problem is not limited to this campus. Yeah, which is pretty neat, actually. Definitely. Right? Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about your experiences, you know, up and down the Front Range. Oh, yeah. So I'm also a member of the University of Colorado Cancer Center. So that is the only NCI, National Cancer Institute, designated cancer center in Colorado. Um, So, you know, being a member of that institution has opened up a ton of opportunities for me, both funding-wise, networking-wise. They have a great um, cancer prevention and control program, a ton of resources. So that's been really great. I have two multi-site studies where we're... um, you know, collecting data down there and up here. So it also expands at the reach of our programs and our, our in- interventions, right? Um, you know, working with colleagues at C Boulder, uh, they've been really great. So yeah, I think the uh, ability to, you know, find people doing things that either complement you or um, are very different from you um, across Front Range has been awesome. Well, Heather, on behalf of the college, I want to thank you for coming and spending a little bit of time with us today. And we're looking forward to dropping your conversation as part of season two. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Our pleasure, as always. And that's the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of Health and Human Science Matters. Be sure to listen to the rest of season two, as well as our episodes from season one. And if you want to learn more about our College of Health and Human Sciences, go to www.chhs.colostate.edu.